0: This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 19. We're looking at Proverbs 19:22 and uh, 23 this morning. We hit some uh, we hit some big deals that we have to. Uh, take a look at before we move on and, uh, particularly when we're talking about chesed, the Hebrew chesed, the concepts of grace and truth that are so uh, profound that they shape everything in our theological understanding of who God is, what God expects, why chesed is the prime imperative and why, um, grace is the, uh, is the order of the day. And, uh, from verse 22 with the, the issues of chesed and in verse 23 with the fear of the lord uh, the whole bible can be summarized in those concepts at least in terms of how we humble ourselves and uh and approach the creator god of the universe and so I want to make sure that we're solid on these ideas before we just rush to the end of the chapter and move on into uh into chapter 20. so um Good to have you all here today. Let's open a word of prayer and call upon our Father and his faithfulness to uh, to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning and the blessing we have to assemble together. We do uh, thank you for the technology that allows us to meet virtually and uh, we're looking forward to the day that we can return to the building. Father, uh, that day is approaching as uh, uh, we recognize that uh, the state of Texas is reopening in phase one and on the way to phase two, and uh, we're preparing the building even now. I thank you for the cleaning crew that's uh, cleaning and disinfecting the property. I thank you for the technology crew that is uh, installing the necessary cameras and uh, streaming capacity. So, Father, uh, when these things are in place, we'll be able to return back to uh, to live services uh, face-to-face. And in the meantime, Father, we thank you that we can meet in this way. Uh, Thank you for uh, making it available for us. Now open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so as we look at Proverbs 22, I have the right slide going here. We've been a lot in this uh, chapter already. This is Proverbs 19 and verse 22. We're looking at the ideal man. And just the expression, the ideal man is an interesting expression. What is desirable in a man? What is a man of desire? And uh, so much that really we can unfold with respect to desire. Desire is uh, is a good thing when it's uh, oriented properly it becomes lost if it's um, abused or oriented to the wrong object uh, even the very term desire i think is interesting because it becomes a title for our savior who's the desire of women the desire of nations uh, it shows up in some of our hymns and our music related to that related to jesus as the desire and and obviously he is the the uh, most desirable uh, he's well pleasing to the Father, and He is, uh, He is uh, of course our Savior. But in the title, desire and uh, desirable in a man, and this really addresses all of us as well, because we want to be desirable, we want to grow in such a way that uh, that we emulate our Savior and that we can portray Him. In fact, the more that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the more that we are being conformed. To uh, to that image, and that's that's what the Christian growth process is all about. So ideally, there's less and less of us with each passing day, and there's more and more of Jesus with each passing day, as uh, as we are transformed from glory to glory. So uh, there's a whole lot that kind of gets boiled into into a verse like this. The verse is pretty simple. What is desirable in a man is his chesed, his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. And so we don't have; uh, it's not a contradictory poetry. It's not an A but B. It's A and B, where these things are combined with the uh, the two halves of uh, of the verse. And even in the New American Standard, where it says it is desirable in a man is his kindness, uh, you'll have a footnote there where it'll say or his loyalty. And uh, both translations are. Um, Useful and both translations are interesting and uh, both translations miss the mark when it comes to the full understanding of what Chesed is all about. And so, um, I don't know how deep into the woods we want to get into this, into the weeds, if you will, but one of the best studies you'll ever do, if, you, if, uh, if you only, uh, you say, I'm not going to learn Hebrew. I'm not going to learn any Hebrew for the rest of my life. Well, you should learn at least, you know, five or six words and uh, and this would be number 1 in my mind there's no more important hebrew word to learn than chesed. and chesed uh, is uh, is so uh, marvelous in everything that it communicates throughout the entire old testament so much so that it gets brought into the new testament in uh, theologically it gets brought into the new testament with uh, the uh, the, t- the twin tandem here of grace and truth and so that's what i'm really stressing this morning is what Proverbs 19.22 is doing when it's taking the hesed in the first part and it's taking the uh, the antithesis of being a liar in the second part, because the word truth is not even in this verse. Uh, it says it's better to be a poor man than a liar. And so this better than statement that's made, we have many better than statements throughout the Proverbs and the better than statements. Uh, uh, should be should be taught as better than statements every time you encounter them in in uh, in the proverbs especially but what we have here uh, theologically is grace and truth we have the statement that is made in john 1 verses 14 and 17 that where we recognize the glories of what we have in the new testament is the grace and truth that is realized in jesus christ and so um that's kind of what I want to speak to here today as we speak about the ideal man, uh, which is Jesus, 100% Jesus. But then it becomes us as we grow in grace and knowledge and as we become more and more conformed to the image of God's Son. And I hope that makes sense. So in looking at this, um, again, I just want to kind of take us to John 1. Where we can see in verse 14 and in verse 17. And if I drop it down just a touch here, you can see both well you can. You can see both verses on the same on the same uh, screen there. Verse 14 at the top and verse 17 at the bottom. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the incarnation. This is what we talk about when God the Son, when the God man um, became uh, flesh that's called incarnation carne meaning flesh so when the word became flesh that's the point that the god man um, humbled himself to limit himself to the uh, circumstances of a human body and uh, he was so humble in fact that for nine months that human body was still in the womb and uh, so the the real kenosis for nine months before even before the bethlehem manger is uh, is a is a curious thing to consider what was god the son doing those whole nine months what was he thinking about what was he doing and uh, and those issues there but let that go for this morning so the word became flesh that's the theological reality of the incarnation which is different from the theological reality of the hypostatic union hypostatic union is deity and humanity together in the person right it's the it's the combination of deity and humanity together in the person and that's different from incarnation for i think for significant reasons and and just be cautious with it because depending on who you're talking to they may they may react forcefully in a very hostile way against this that uh, because their only understanding of of hypostatic union requires the incarnation that God cannot become the God-man without the incarnation. And so they're absolutely dependent upon the virgin birth for the baby in the manger that once, once, um, he is incarnate, then and only then does God the Son acquire a human nature. And it's the incarnation that causes him to be the God-man. And uh, I would say that is probably, uh, the dominant view that is probably the view of, of Nearly anybody you're going to talk to, unless they uh, they have done deeper studies into Proverbs eight, unless they have done uh, deeper studies into hypostatic union, and have considered that humanity does not require a body. If they've come to the conclusion that humanity does not require a body, then the God Man can become the God Man. Um, that is, God the Son can become the God Man uh, in in a uh, in an event unrelated to the incarnation okay so that's that's uh, beyond what we're dealing with here today the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory is of the only begotten the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth glory is of the monogamous the one of a kind and uh, only begotten that speaks of his uniqueness and only begotten that does testify to the begetting that happens today, I have begotten thee, and uh, there are of course uh, debates related to only begotten and whether it is connected to genao or whether it is not, whether it is connected to genas, whether it's only begotten or one of a kind. And uh, regardless of um, the arguments on the etymology of monogenes, what cannot be argued is the uh, the text in in uh, Psalm two: Today I have begotten thee. That is a begetting text uh, unrelated to the monogenes of John and First uh, John. Okay, uh, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the phrase I'm keying in on: full of grace and truth. And this is a theological phrase. Okay, full of grace and truth, and it's it's packed full of significance beyond the vocabulary. And we have to we have to I think embrace this and and accept this, that full of grace and truth and then grace upon grace that gets expanded in uh, in the follow up. But verse 17 then expands on it when it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so there's the contrast of law versus grace and truth what it is that Moses gave to the Jewish people, what it is that Jesus Christ provides for us, and why it is that grace and truth is uh, so superior to law, even as Christ is superior to Moses. And uh, footnote with, were realized, literally, it's came to be, and the verb there being genemi. And so just like uh, the word genemi became flesh, we have genemi again grace and truth were genomied through jesus christ and so there's a lot of theology in this there is a lot of uh, of um, powerful doctrine that we have to not only learn (laughs) we gotta have the gnosis of it as we as we learn it but then we have to understand it and then we have to uh have the 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 full knowledge of it all these things that we're learning in colossians right now where knowledge becomes full knowledge becomes understanding becomes full assurance and uh, in the full assurance we have the unlimited wealth that we have in Christ and that's a that's a grace and truth reality uh in terms of what what um, John is talking about here so this is a theological um more than a lexical more than a lexical study and uh here's what i mean by that all right because when you study the, the language and the words that are used, when you study grace and truth, when you study that, that grace is the Greek word charis and truth is the great, is the Greek word aletheia. All right. And so you've got those Greek words. The problem is when you go back to the old time, and I say problem, the lexical problem that you come into is that the, the theology of chesed, is the is the old testament theology of Chesed, and the septuagint almost never uses chorus for Chesed. okay and so you can't you can't do a one-for-one lexical study chorus is the, the 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 new testament doctrine of chorus is what we would call the new testament doctrine of grace and, uh, we would, we would match together Chorus and Aletheia real well because it's here in, in John 1, 14 and 17. You have Chorus and Aletheia, grace and truth. And so theologically, when you're in the New Testament developing your doctrine of grace, your theological, your theology of grace and truth that comes to you in the New Testament through the vocabulary and, uh, and and so forth of Chorus and Aletheia, but you don't go to the Old Testament and find Chorus, and because Chorus is not used in the Septuagint for Chesed, and that's uh, significant. In fact, Chesed more often than not the Septuagint uses Eleos, the New Testament uh, the the Septuagint uses Mercy. Uses mercy for, car, for chesed, and that's uh, that's why we, um, it really befuddles uh, scholars and linguists and interpreters, translators, theologians, and so forth. They realize that it's not a simple study to just say, well, chesed equals grace, or chesed equals mercy, or chesed equals faithfulness, or chesed equals loyalty. As a matter of fact, there's about seven elements um, of, of Chesed that uh, that that come into the Greek that would uh, would be used in the New Testament, pointing back to a Chesed use of the Old Testament. So anyway, I hope I didn't confuse issues on that, but that's uh, that's part of what we do here. So when we're in Proverbs 19:22, we we'll go back to Proverbs 19:22 and we come across this chesed, I'm not shocked that it uses kindness or footnote loyalty. Uh, you may find other expressions, depending on other Bible texts that you have. You may find uh, uh, loving kindness. That's a that's a big one. Chesed gets rendered as loving kindness very frequently in King James and New King James translations. You might find um, other other, you might even find grace. You might find grace as a translation for chesed. Even though uh, the typical Hebrew word for grace is, is chen or chana, like where uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, uh, her name Hannah comes from chana, which is usually the Hebrew word that's translated grace and rendered with charis in the uh, in the Septuagint. Anyway, what's desirable in a man is his chesed and uh, it's, it's chesed and a meth that we should be centering ourselves in. And as far as Old Testament theology is concerned, it's all about chesed and emeth. Uh, chesed and emeth. And now, so the second word that we are dealing with here, emeth, E-M-E-T-H, emeth, that's Strong's number 571. It's used 127 times. So when you have chesed used 245 times and emeth that's used 127 times, you realize that you've got, um, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you got, uh terms that are employed throughout the Old Testament in uh, in a very comprehensive way and uh, that these are the things that God desires he desires chesed and he desires emeth and if anything falls short of chesed if anything falls short of emeth then it's it's falling short of the glory of God it's it's sin it's uh it's imitation of satan as uh the liar from the beginning and uh and these issues here so when we're uh when we're growing in the word of god Chesed and Ameth become uh become key expressions that uh, that we're growing in and so let's take a look at these usages let's take a look at these theological developments mostly from proverbs and psalms um i'll take them in that order although psalms for the most part precedes proverbs the Davidic Psalms certainly are going to precede the Solomonic Proverbs. Uh, but nevertheless, since we're in a Proverbs series, let's uh let's start with the Proverbs usages and then we'll back up to the Psalms. So Proverbs 3:3. Proverbs 3:3, in the uh, parental wisdom portion of the book, remember Proverbs 1 through 9 is parental wisdom. It's the exhortation of a parent to a child. And in Proverbs 3. Uh, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Do not let chesed and ameth leave you. Bind them around your neck. And so this is why, this is theologically what we recognize is the consequence of abiding in the word of God, of living in doctrine, of being saturated with Bible teaching from your childhood, that parents can can teach the word of god and the child can receive it and it's more than just um individual verses it's more than than uh, doctrines or promises or principles but it is the totality of what those what those doctrines and promises and principles will do for any believer when you are learning it when you are living it when you are with humility receiving the word implanted And when you are not neglecting it. That's the thing. So because you can learn something and then neglect it and later in life just ignore it and not live your life as if you're as if you know it. And so um the the sum total of all the doctrine you ever learn in your life, as you as you embrace it and as you live it, as the gnosis becomes the, the the uh sunesis, the as as knowledge becomes wisdom, becomes understanding, becomes full knowledge, becomes um a full assurance, you go through this process, and what happens is kindness and truth, kindness and truth become yours, and it uh, becomes a possession, and it abides in you, and you don't want it to lead, uh, to leave you. So do not let chesed and emeth leave you. Do not let chesed and emeth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So these foundational verses, fundamental principles of Proverbs that can be taught to a child. They should be taught to a child that we should be learning these. And and, and significantly too. think about this verse. Because. In the contrast of Moses and Jesus, in the contrast of law versus grace, when it says law was given by Moses, grace and truth realized in Jesus Christ. It's um, I don't want us to read John chapter 1 to think that no Old Testament believer ever had grace and truth, because they all should have. This, this Proverbs 3, um, it makes that clear. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Do not let chesed and ameth leave you. That, um, that every Old Testament saint, even those born under the law, those that were, that were living under the law, they did not view law observance as, as the standard of their growth or the standard of their maturity or the standard of their rewardability or the standard of their being pleasing in the sight of God. Uh, Mosaic law observance. If 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 Mosaic law observance became the standard for uh, for their spirituality, then they were legalists, and God said uh, that He wanted to spew them out of His mouth. That He uh, they they made him want to puke. All right, but the real um, the real maturity, the real standard of of spirit Old Testament spirit spirituality, was not legal observance. The real standard of Old Testament spirituality is seen right here. It's living in the word of God. So that kindness and truth never depart from you. You're living in the word of God. You're abiding in the word of God. You're trusting in the Lord with with all your heart. In all your ways, you're acknowledging him. Okay? And he will make your path straight. The fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil. And so I would take this, this text, as what's definitive for Old Testament spirituality, not legal observance, not keeping the law. Keeping the law was a different issue. Keeping the law was expected because it was commanded. But it was not the standard for rewardability, and it was not the criteria for spirituality. It was not the criteria for what pleases God. That's fear of the Lord. That's uh, abiding in the Word of God. That's trusting in the Lord with all your heart. That's the fear of the Lord. All of these expressions, and we're going to see fear of the Lord next, and it's coming up in Proverbs nineteen twenty three. The fear of the Lord—that's Old Testament spirituality, and to tell you the truth, it's also New Testament spirituality, because uh, when we contrast being spiritual versus being carnal, walking in fellowship versus you know uh, carnality, or uh, walking in the light versus walking in darkness, all of these expressions that we adapt in a New Testament. Uh, uh, approach. It's it's really the same thing. It's fear of the Lord. It's trusting in the Lord, walking by faith, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. It's not letting grace and truth leave you, chesed and Ameth leave you. And I hope that makes sense as well. If um, and this is hard because I, I I absolutely despise teaching into a camera where uh, I, I feel like I, I can't uh, interact with with the flock as uh, as uh, this teaching goes forth. All right. Anyway, so that's Proverbs 3. Looks like at Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, 22. Will they not go astray who devise evil? Who devise evil? And remember uh, the devising? Uh, is, a, is an interesting thing because our God is the creator but we're in his image and so we can be creative in what we do and we can be creatively sinful uh, and unbelievers can be creatively sinful carnal believers can be creatively sinful devising new forms of evil but kindness and truth chesed and ameth kindness and truth to those who devise good those who creatively find creative expressions of goodness And so in our creativity it's not necessarily you know just obeying law with a blind obedience to to uh, to being a good person because we're obeying Mosaic law no we are creatively devising good and finding creative ways to express goodness and and uh, so forth to our God and we taught this and, and I remember, uh, stressing the the devising and the devising, devising evil versus devising good, the inventiveness that we have in uh, in God's image. But notice the the tandem of of Chesed and Ameth that I think jumps out at you: kindness and truth. And uh, these are Old Testament believers with uh, Old Testament spirituality that uh, they benefit from the tandem of of kindness and truth, of Chesed and Ameth chesed and emeth. Proverbs 16.6 By chesed and Ameth iniquity is atoned for. By chesed and Ameth, iniquity is atoned for. Not by sacrifice, not by day of atonement, not by Mosaic law, not by Levitical priesthood, not by by emeth, I'm sorry, chesed and emeth. And in so many ways, we have a preview of the gospel right here. I think this—you could point to this as an Old Testament soteriological text. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And when you understand that the personification of this is Jesus Christ Himself, that the Word became flesh, and that uh, Chesed and Ameth became the the person of the humanity of, uh, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and so iniquity is atoned for why did he come in the flesh he came to atone for our sin and thank god that he did and by the fear of the lord one keeps away from evil so it's a it's a neat it's a neat statement of old testament spirituality it's a neat statement of old testament anticipation for what will be realized in Christ Jesus so that's uh, Proverbs 16, 6. Proverbs 20, verse 28. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. We can view this as a facet of Old Testament spirituality, but we can also view this as a prophetic anticipation of the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because uh, realizing, again, that grace and truth are realized in Jesus Christ, chesed and Ameth preserve the king that could be david solomon any davidic king walking in grace um but ultimately of course the greatest fulfillment of this would be in jesus christ upholding his throne by righteousness and uh, even some of the new names for the kingdom the lord our righteousness and the kingdom the name of of uh, of new jerusalem of uh, millennial jerusalem um yahweh tzedkenu, the lord our righteousness." and his throne will be a throne of righteousness because he doesn't judge based on what his eye sees or what his ear hears. He judges according to righteous judgment. And a lot of the millennial studies that we do on the glories of perfect government that Jesus will exercise, uh, they, they use these expressions. Loyalty and truth. So that's what Proverbs deals with in terms of loyalty and truth. And it's a great, it's a great, uh, tandem, if you will. It's a great partnership uh, throughout the Proverbs. It's also a partnership throughout the Psalms of Chesed and Ameth. And so starting in Psalm 2510, all the paths of the Lord are Chesed and Ameth. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. So if you think, uh, (laughs) you know, if you're wondering if you're on the Lord's path or not, uh, just ask yourself: the path that I'm on is it a path of grace and truth? Is it a path of Chesed and meth? Now here it's not uh, kindness and truth; it's loving kindness and truth. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, I'm guessing there was a different uh, translation team. The the any any modern Bible translation is going to assign different portions to different teams, and there's supposed to be um, editors then that try to reconcile the different teams. Um we didn't we didn't encounter that loving kindness rendering in Proverbs the way that we're going to see it here in Psalms, but it's still it's is Chesed, Chesed and Ameth. All the paths of the Lord are Chesed and Ameth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Um anyway, there's I like it is a Davidic Psalm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. So this is David, who is saved by grace through faith, and who is walking by grace through faith. And it says, Oh my God, in you I presently trust. So he became a believer when he uh, when he believed, but he continues to walk by faith, and he has a present experiential trust. In you I trust. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Let those who uh, those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. And so it's a nice description of the faith rest life. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And this is what it's all about. And I think this Davidic, uh, psalm, uh, finds its expression in the Solomonic Proverbs that, um, that, uh, that come out in the, in the early parental Proverbs. So uh, acknowledge him and all your, and he will direct your steps. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. And that's what it's about. You're saved, now you spend the rest of your life in the Word of God, living in the Word of God. This is the definition of spirituality, Old Testament spirituality, uh, living in the Word of God, fearing God, walking by faith. Same thing with with New Testament spirituality. Uh, Living in the Word of God, loving God, walking by faith. That's what it's about. So remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from eternity, from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your chesed loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Not for my own sake, it's for his goodness sake. All right. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us not only to be born again, but to uh, to be taught and to mature, to be transformed to the image of his son. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Which gets us to verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are chesed and ameth, loving kindness and truth, to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is Great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. So that's it. Fear the Lord. All right. Old Testament spirituality right there. It is not keeping the law. It's not. It's it's living in the word, walking by faith. And uh there you have it. Psalms uh, 40 verses 10 and 11. Again, I am going to kind of glance up and see if uh, there's a larger context to this beyond verses 10 and 11. A lot of times if I'm standing in the pulpit and I flip my paper Bible open to Psalm 40 and verse 10, then uh, it's pretty easy to spot the verses that lead up to that and the, the verses that follow that and kind of get a larger Context and a, in a sense in the pulpit for maybe there's, there's a bit more that we want to touch on before we, before we really hit the, those key verses. It's not as easy sitting here staring into a camera, um, and enlarging my Bible text to, to the point where you can't see much of the larger context beyond those, those key verses there. Another component of my dislike for this, uh, this format. But right, God's faithful. Psalm 40 is a Davidic psalm. In fact, it's uh, such a messianic psalm, and it comes out in the book of Hebrews, and it comes out throughout uh, the New Testament that we better be paying attention to it. The um, Realizing David plus Jesus, both making application here. David a thousand years before Jesus, and then Jesus, happy to cite this verse and and live in his day and age uh related to conflict and what it is that we how we trust in god even in the midst of angelic conflict i waited patiently for the lord he inclined to me and heard my cry he brought me up out of the pit of destruction out of the miry clay he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm that was true for david That was true for jesus time and time again he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god many will see and fear and will trust in the lord it seems like every time God showed himself faithful and rescued David from, from some uh, affliction, uh, David would then respond with his creativity and goodness by writing another Psalm. And in writing another Psalm, um, many will see and fear believers for all eternity can read the, the Psalms that David wrote and uh, be edified by the book of Psalms. And trusting in the Lord, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust it not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood and this is theologically now touching upon what I 'm talking about that when you stand in grace and truth you're avoiding the proud and the falsehood that theologically now lexically you know the vocabulary they might be antonyms or sometimes they're not antonyms, but they're used in a contrast theologically. Chesed and Ameth, grace and truth, uh, stand opposed to the proud and the false. That if you're, if you're bound up in arrogance, you will never understand grace. You will never understand Chesed. The proud will never accept the Chesed of God. Likewise, falsehood will never accept Ameth, will never accept truth. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done in your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. (laughs) So that satanic liar who said, I will be like the most high God. Forget about it. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. You can't name them all. You can't enumerate the glories of God. They're infinite sacrifice and offering you have not desired this is huge i tell you theologically sacrifice and offering you have not desired psalm 40 says my ears you have opened it gets brought into the septuagint and it gets brought into the book of hebrews with a body you have prepared for me that seems weird for us and there's been a lot of ink spilled on 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 uh, the adaptation of my ears you have opened to a body you have prepared for me. And uh, both are theologically necessary to understand. The opened ears from uh, Psalm 40 and then the prepared body from Hebrews. In any event, you'll notice, though, it's not legalism. It's not sacrifice and meal offering, but it's obedience. It's obedience in chesed and ameth. That's the key. So sacrifice and meal offering. If you think that becoming an extra religious person and sacrificing more is gonna is gonna please God, you're missing the point. It's not sacrifice and meal offering. It's chesed and ameth. It's grace and truth. It's uh, this uh, chesed loyalty. He says, "I desire loyalty and not sacrifice." When you get over to uh, Hosea, that's the message there. And and Jesus told the Pharisees repeatedly. Go and learn what this means. I desire chesed and not sacrifice. That's the uh, the principle here. I should have put Hosea on the slide. I did not. I limited the slide to Psalms and Proverbs, and then I took it to to John 1. All right. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. When Jesus came in First Advent, of course, this is David writing in a prophetic way, Jesus applying it in his First Advent. Jesus will fulfill this in Second Advent, and all of Israel will fulfill this in Second Advent, because what the New Covenant does is it takes the law of God and it writes it upon their heart. So um, look forward to that in the New Covenant uh, fulfillment. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. What do we call this? We call this evangelism. David was able to evangelize based upon the the uh, things God had done for him. Jesus was able to evangelize. And uh, we are able to evangelize. Anytime we're going to proclaim glad tidings, we're declaring the marvelous things that God has done for us. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have. Uh, spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation i have not concealed your chesed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation and that's the tandem of loving kindness and truth you O lord will not withhold your compassion from me your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me so chesed and ameth grace and truth loving kindness and truth This is what it's about. And David knew this as an Old Testament believer a thousand years before Christ. Even while he was under the law, it was grace and truth that defined his spirituality, that defined his uh, regenerate walk, what we call today the Christian walk. Okay, how are we doing for time? Psalm 57 3. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Psalm 57 is a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. And uh, a lot of songs that adapt this. And Bill Gaither wrote, uh, Till the Storm Passes By. All the rest. It comes from this song. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He uh, reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his chesed and his ameth, his loving kindness and his truth. There's the tandem. And what a uh, what a joy. And it's you can take it generally with respect to God answers prayers and takes care of us. Uh, But then you can also think of it as a prophetic statement that a day is coming when grace and truth will be realized in Jesus Christ. Psalm 61, 7. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. Here is uh, another Psalm of David in Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. God has always been faithful. He always will be faithful. He has uh, blessed us up every day up till now. Why would he stop today? Let's continue to uh, to rest in him. This is faith rest right here a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take uh, refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. So David was living his walk, but looking forward to the resurrection, looking forward to the eternal walk for many generations, that, uh, that he will be uh, representing this grace and truth, this loving kindness and truth. Psalm 85, 10. Grace and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Here's a uh, here's a doctrine for you. And it's, uh, it's curious. Of course, it's fulfilled in Christ. We look forward to the kingdom. But there's um, neat things that say here. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. That's tested in a math. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before Him, and will make His footsteps into a way. And um, again, we li- we live this life looking forward to the life to come, looking forward to the millennial kingdom the new heavens, and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. Nope. Ooh, that can't be right. Let's see. Here we go. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in what? Chesed and ameth, loving kindness and truth. Well, there's a phrase that's used all throughout from Exodus onwards, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness or loving kindness and truth. I think the the more common phrase from Exodus and Leviticus and all leading up to this is uh, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger and abounding in chesed. But here the psalmist goes ahead and tacks on the MF tandem because uh, because that's what he does. That's what gets featured often in, uh, in the Psalms. Psalm 89:14. Looking forward to Jesus and his millennial reign. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Chesed and emeth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. And uh, indeed we do. Living this life, anticipating the next. Psalm 138 in verse 2. I will bow down toward your holy temple. Now, now think about it. David was not allowed to build the temple. Yep, it's another Davidic psalm. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods, before the Elohim. David understood there was a plurality of Elohim in the angelic realm, and that, uh, that angels were sent to watch the nations, and he's going to praise God. I will bow down toward your holy temple. He has a heavenly mindset. Not allowed to build an earthly temple, but he's going to bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Why do we, uh, people accuse us of being Bible allotters, say you just practice Bible allotry. You just spend too much time in Bible study and uh, as if that's possible, right? And, uh, no, he has magnified his word in accordance with his name. And if I'm not abiding in the word of God, I'm not loving the Lord. That's what it comes down to. Uh, loving kindness and truth. All right. So that's Psalm 138 in verse 2. You have magnified your word according to all your name. So we have the ideal man. We have us, hopefully, being transformed, being more and more like Christ. Whoops. Why is my. There we go. Grace and truth. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Better to be a poor man than a liar. And so uh, when you're um, evaluating your own character, when you're evaluating the character of a love interest, if you're considering whether this person you're dating might be marriage material, if you're evaluating whether uh, this is God's will for your life to to marry this person, you know, what's desirable, what's desirable in a person? Is it uh, how, you know, how pretty, you know, when you're trying to decide this, this girl and say, wow, she's really pretty. Well, (laughs) I don't see really pretty as a, as a criteria for, for this. It's, uh, it's inner beauty. It's the, it's the chesed and the emeth. It's the grace and truth. Are they saved? Are they living in the word of God? Are they being conformed to the image of the ideal man, the ideal person who is Jesus? And the more Christ-like they are, now you're talking, say, all right, this is what we're dealing with. And then if you find a godly woman, if you find a, a Proverbs 31 woman of virtue and, uh, and, and you're checking off the, the biblical criteria there for what's desirable in terms of inner beauty, then having done all that, if in fact also she happens to be, you know, uh, pretty, <laughs> she happens to have an earthly beauty as well. Well, my friend, that's just uh, that's icing on the cake right there. That's just, uh, you know, extra credit right there. So, um, anyway, that's uh, that's what a young man needs to be looking for in a girl or a young woman in a in a boy, and uh, and those kind of things. All right. So Proverbs nineteen twenty two. We move on to verse twenty three, and uh, have ten minutes to teach verse twenty three. How about that? The fear of the Lord. Teach that in ten minutes. The fear of the Lord leads to life, that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Now, the term leads to life. Whoops, leads. That's that's not in the Hebrew, and so we kind of we kind of have to. Put a, put a verb in there, because there is no verb in the Hebrew. If we're just opening it up and, and looking at it, we have uh, the fear of the Lord, Yerath Yahweh, Lachayim. Lachaim, And we just have the toast, <laughs> the Hebrew toast, Lachaim to life. And now I'm going to start singing a Fiddler on the Roof song. But anyway, Lachaim to life. And, uh, the, the, the simplicity of it is that there's no verb. There's just, uh, three nouns. Fear, Lord, life. Fear, Lord, life. Okay. Does somebody have a question? It seems like, uh, I'm hearing something that might be a voice or might be an unmuted microphone perhaps. Okay. If there's no question, then I'll just Remute everybody. Okay, eight more minutes. Almost done. Fear, Lord, life. Now the word life is uh, is prefixed with a lamed, so you have a lamed prefix here, preposition in front of the life. So it's not just chayim; it's le chayim, and so to life. Um, and then different ways that the laman prefix can be used. So that then generates a bit of variety. Um, the Septuagint just rendered this, uh, phabos curiu, fear of the Lord, ice, zoen, andri. And use the, the, uh, the Greek preposition ice, meaning to or into or purpose clause, um, a life of a man. All right, or a life for man, putting that in the data. I don't really dispute, I don't have an issue, I think, with leads to life, but I think, um, we might do better with it, we might improve upon it some. Uh, the fear of the Lord, um, the fear of the Lord is what life is all about. The fear of the Lord leads to a satisfying life, which is the second half of the of the proverb here. So that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord is the best life. Uh, you know, Jesus said, "I've come that they might have life; they may have it in abundance." Uh, we've seen the idea of life already in uh, in Proverbs on previous occasions, and uh, and that would be a, a good idea to look back at those previous ones, because. Uh, length of days and satisfaction of life this is what's promised to those who fear the lord to those who who treasure wisdom to those who honor and value uh the wisdom of god so if you seek after wisdom then uh length of days and and uh satisfaction of life are going to be provided for you and so uh really the fear of the lord that is life that is that's living and there's a lot of people that are, that have earthly life, but don't have a spiritual life to to shake a stick at, and that's because without the fear of the Lord, you don't have that you don't have that life. All right. So let me just let me get the point up here first of all, and then we'll we'll spell it out for save it for next week. The fear of the Lord is the prime ingredient for the faith rest life. Without the fear of the Lord, there's no wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, there's no contentment. Without the fear of the Lord, there is no satisfaction. Without the fear of the Lord, there is no um, there is no faith rest at, at night. And, and that's what this verse is going to be talking about when it says uh, one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil, untouched by evil, not visited by evil. You know, how do you have a good night where uh, you're not troubled by the worries and concerns and conflict and struggles and, and everything else. How is it you can, we say sleep like a baby, right? That um, you can sleep satisfied. You can sleep in total contentment, trusting in, in, uh, in your father. Well, that's the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord provides for that. And uh, fear of the Lord, uh, Proverbs teaches it is the beginning of wisdom. And it is the, uh, the basis for the faith rest life without the fear of the Lord forget about anything else you want to do. Not only is that the, the emphasis in he, in, uh, Proverbs, but we saw it at the conclusion of Hebrews 12. Did we not? That our God is a consuming fire. And so, uh, we need to present the acceptable, uh, sacrifices with reverence and awe. The reverence and awe from Hebrews 12 is fear of the Lord from the Old Testament. And the Levitical priest that, uh, that were the original recipients of the book of Hebrews would have, uh, would have had no question with respect to that at all. All right. So we're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about fear of the Lord. We're going to talk about uh, Psalm 34 as, as my favorite Psalm to teach fear of the Lord. We'll give you some sub points related to that because we got um, some sub points under here as well, but I'll save that for next week. Um, I guess I can take any questions. I have three minutes remaining. If anyone wants to unmute themselves and ask a question. Either fear of the Lord question or we can back up to ideal man question with grace and truth. Or not. All right. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the faithfulness we have to study to show ourselves approved. Thank you for grace and truth. And although there is a tremendous contrast between law on the one hand, grace and truth on the other, we, we identify that, that our provision in Christ is far beyond anything ever given in the Old Testament. Still, Father, we thank you that it's a good uh, a good reminder for us that grace and truth are in the Old Testament also. And that the, uh, the believers in the Old Testament who are most intimate with you, uh, I think about David. I think about the Psalm one hundred nineteen psalmist. I think about uh, Daniel. I think about real Old Testament heroes. They were not intimate with you on the basis of keeping the law. They were intimate with you on the basis of, of living in the word of God and occupying with the grace and truth, occupying with the chesed and the emeth. That is the uh, expectation of Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. So I pray that uh, these passages will come to life for us as well, that we can uh, embrace them and, uh, and live them. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.